0: Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. And this is our third episode dedicated to the saga of Hávarth of Ísafjord. Yeah, we had a little bit of a hiatus from this one. We, uh, we were celebrating the podcast's 10th anniversary. Uh, we popped champagne. We ate little cubes of cheese on sticks. We danced the batusi. Mm, I don't... And I we don't. wasted a lot of everyone's time with foolishness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, first of all... It was commemorative
1: foolishness, John, so that makes it legit, but I wouldn't eat little cubes of cheese (laughs) ever.
0: Would you dance the batusi with me?
1: That I would do if we were close together, but uh, alas, we were far apart.
0: Uh, But hey, uh, so now it's time to get back to the workaday world of the sagas. To return to the story of Halvath, a retired Viking who has reentered the game after his only son was killed by a local chieftain. Yes, and since
1: it's been a while for you and for me, and... John, I legit, I don't really remember much. I know there's an old guy and he had a son who (laughs) was killed and some stuff happened, but I don't really remember where we stopped. So why don't we do a little
0: recap, shall we? I think that's a good idea. We prepared for that very eventuality. Let's have a look back at what happened. (laughs) Last time on Saga Thing. Halvath, the former Viking, has been in bed for two entire years, oppressed by both grief for his murdered son Olaf and the taunts and contempt of Olaf's killer, Thorbjorn Thaldriksson. Bjargi, wife to Halvath and mother to Olaf, takes charge of the farm, running the place with her trusted man on the spot, Thornhaut. Halvath finally rides to the Althing to take Thorbjorn to task, but Thorbjorn sends him off with yet another flea in his ear. Despite making friends with the powerful Stain Thor of Eirí. Howarth returns
1: to home and to bed as the picture of dejection and after a third year of depressed inactivity, it looks as if the end might be nigh for our protagonist, but Bjargis got a determined glint in her eye and a sleeve full of tricks she recruits her nephews from their father <laughs> she recruits her nephews from their father, <laughs> don't laugh I'm trying to do it right she recruits her nephews from their father's farms to be ready for a bit of the old ultra-violence, then learns Thorbjörn's whereabouts
0: and curses him for good measure. Havath’s goldbricking is no match for Bjargi's sterling qualities, and she forces him up and out the door, on his feet and on the path to vengeance at last. He rose to his in-laws' various farms, rallying an inexperienced but keen-eyed band of teenage nephews to his cause. Eager to finally shed blood to redeem his son's life, Halvath now presses the group to cross the sound despite dangerous weather. Hidden in Thorbjörn's swanky private lagoon, Halvath ambushes the chieftain
1: and his crew, including Thorbjörn's brother, Sturtler, and his nephew, Vark. When the brouhaha has been fully brewed, all three enemies have been chopped to smithereens. Now, somewhat nervous after their first bloody encounter, the nephews ask Halvath what they should do next. And Havarth smiles. Oh, that's where we were. (laughs) What what, a good here. I have a good question for us all. What more does our bloody-handed old Viking have in store for his foes? How long can the luck of his nephews hold out? And what happens when Thorbjörn's brothers get word of the killings in the lagoon? Find out as we cover the saga of Havarth of Isafjord, chapters 11 to 18.
0: Eight chapters? We oh, are, yeah. We are moving up in the world. I think our last couple of episodes only covered about four or five each. I mean, it's uh, eight chapters. This is luxury. Yeah.
1: Well, check your seatbelts and raise and lock your trays, because this one's going
0: to be a bumpy ride. Oh, Andy, uh, there's something I want to talk about for a second before we get underway. Oh, good. Our first tangent. What do, we, what do you want to <laughs> talk about? Well, the old last episode had a lot of really old people
1: Well, this, yes, this is your observation.
0: More than sagas normally have is the point.
1: Well, yes, that's true. Like uh, how Bartha and Bjargi were presented at the start of the saga is notably old. They're an old couple.
0: Right. And by my count, we've been through close to a decade since the saga started. They're just getting older.
1: Okay. So why shouldn't they live a good life, John? They they love each other.
0: Well, I mean, the point is, in the last episode we also learned that Bjargi has three brothers still living. Yes. All three of them are also elderly and at least one of them is older than her.
1: Yeah, and and suddenly Howard is running around like a man half his age. Well, possibly a quarter of his age. Well, I I'm mean, a man half his age. <laughs> well, I mean I don't think so. Is he <laughs> supposed to be in his hundreds? Come on <laughs> now. <laughs> But this isn't the most realistic saga for a lot of reasons, right? The the spry old folks of Isafjordr, they, they aren't in the top three suspensions of disbelief
0: required to take this or any other saga seriously. Oh, I would, I would never encourage taking this saga seriously. Uh, but it does raise a question I don't think we've ever covered directly. Just how long do Vikings live? Oh, well, generally not this long, but that
1: is a... No, yeah, obviously. It's worth looking into.
0: Yeah, uh well most sources put the average life expectancy at somewhere between thirty-five and fifty years old. Aren't you I just aren't you fifty? No, I'm I'm twenty-nine and a half. The <laughs> point is people hear a number like thirty-five and they think that means that seventeen year olds were having midlife crises and guys my age weren't buying green bananas. Mm-hmm. We're gonna keep dealing with spry old folks in this saga. So I just wanted to remind everyone that the whole average lifespan concept is really misleading.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The problem is that the average includes a lot of people who didn't make it to adulthood in the first place. Right. Yeah. I mean, let's not
1: sugarcoat the past here. There were a lot Mm -hmm. of children's uh, there were a lot of children whose lives were tragically short. Uh, Mothers risked complications and death from childbirth techniques. Uh, But but those who made it to, say, 18 or so, they had a reasonable chance of seeing 60 or more years if they didn't get sick.
0: Yeah, uh, obviously not everyone can be uh, Aesophtle Grimson making it to ninety years old. Yeah, but an adult's expectation of a human lifespan was longer than modern people tend to think. That's right. One of the things I like to point to my students is that uh, the biblical reference to three score and ten years, right? That that's the expectation, like the allotted years to a man mm-hmm. is seventy years, right? That, that was, the expectation was that that was a lifespan that you could expect if you weren't taken out by illness.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what we're saying here is that the ages of the characters here in this saga, the ages, not their
0: actions, but the ages, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's not necessarily all that unrealistic. Well, I don't know if I'm saying all that. I mean, it's still unusual. It's at least unusual for a saga to have so many elders involved in the narrative. I mean, this is we're basically getting an entire retirement community's worth of elderly people in this saga. Uh I just wanted to underline that Howarth being in his 70s or 80s isn't inherently ridiculous. Right. Uh, It's his energy
1: in two ways, right? His ability to lay in (laughs) bed for two years, but also his ability to kind Mm -hmm. of run out and be the the hero that he becomes uh, and his sudden strength and his ability to leap over a crowd of men. uh, That's that's maybe a little less than realistic. Well, yeah. Uh, All right. So caveat in place. You ready to dive back into this story, John?
0: Let's go. Part nine. Halftime adjustments.
1: Really? Now, perhaps it's because mm-hmm. we're recording on Monday night and you've just watched a lot of football, but I would have thought <laughs> that you would go for something more like a uh, yacht, more
0: killing, something like that. Yeah, yeah I-, I thought about it. I'm not going to lie, uh, but I don't always like to go for the easy one. Uh, all right. <sighs> okay. So we left our surviving Avengers on the beach of Thorbjörn's Harbor. Uh, they've just killed Thorbjörn, his brother Sturtla, and his nephew Vak. Yes, and now it's Miller time. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, although technically speaking, nobody killed Vok He just drowned after getting his head stuck Into shallow water <laughs> That's right It was a fitting end for him it was standing yeah. around watching him drown <laughs> John, it's, it just occurred to me again I know. I remember when we decided where to stop mm-hmm. The saga last time We And we were talking about, do we stop here Or do we go a little bit further And we thought, no, a, a nice cliffhanger a nice, a nice abrupt end would be perfect yep. To set up the next episode and then we waited a month. <laughs> um, More than a month. But yeah, uh,
0: right. you know, sorry, okay, everyone. So the point is that where we left them, there's a pile of corpses. And yes. Halvarth's nephew, Hakrim, is a little bit nervous and asks what they're going to do now. Which is a reasonable question. Yep. Uh, Thorbjorn uh, Theodriksson was a
1: chieftain. Mm-hmm. And he was a very unpopular chieftain, but he's still a high profile man with a lot of powerful relatives. So Halverth and his crew of nephews have
0: just made some really dangerous enemies. Well, apparently that's what Halverth's thinking, too. Uh, A lot of men in this situation might be preparing themselves for a nice long rest on their laurels. But not Halverth. The old Viking blood is finally stirring in his veins. Well, I mean, it's about time. It took him three years. I said finally. uh, But now that he's got a taste of vengeance, Halverth decides the knight's still young. So... They might as well go on to the farm of Thorbjörn's brother, Jot of manaberg Not the brother that they just killed, though. No, uh, Thorbjörn's from a big family.
1: Yeah, there are six siblings in this family. Uh, our last episode ended with two of them being killed, but they're still Jot of manaberg Ljot the Dueler, Thorin Gothi, and their sister Thoris. Uh-huh. So we should ignore the fact that there are two brothers named Ljot. Well, you made a nice joke about that in the first episode, uh, that uh, mm-hmm. several people who are in uh, what I'm going to call your generation, John, uh, really appreciate it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's a very specific. I feel like there's a, very, there's a real window there. Yeah, there, um, there is. And
1: and even though you're not that much older than me, it's just enough.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, like Thorbjorn, Yacht of manaberg has a reputation as an unfair man and a bit of a pain to deal with. Actually, the, the whole family is kind of infamous, but we're only dealing yeah. with Yacht at the moment. Uh, Jot of Manneberg is a man of high status. Uh, as Halverth says, it would be rather good revenge to kill such a man if we are so fortunate. And <laughs> Like no it's a, a trophy. Text. Yeah, well, sure. Uh, so they, they get on their way. Uh, Jot lives uh, further along the coast of Isfjord, so it doesn't take them long to get there. Uh, in fact, it's worth a reminder that all of this, uh, collecting the hit squad of nephews, the attack on Thorbjorn's compound, now the attempt to eliminate Jot, all this is taking place in a single night. Oh, definitely, yeah.
1: And Manaberg is only a dozen miles or so from Thorbjörn's farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, besides, it's it's on an island which works to Halvard's advantage. Oh, right. Moving this fast, there's really no
0: way any hint of what happened to Thorbjörn
1: has made it to Lyot, which is right. exactly the
0: point. Right, that's good strategy. Um, so the seven of them immediately sail off and they beach their ship not long after at Manaberg. Yeah. Uh, now, there's no mention
1: of a nice harbor this time, so Yot mm. clearly doesn't have the same rich guy hobbies as Thorbjorn.
0: That's true. Um, well, once they're all on shore and armed, Halverth tells them, Now we must proceed with deliberation. Yot is always on his guard because he's forever feuding with someone. Every night he posts armed guards around his house, and he sleeps in a separate bed closet from the rest of the house. He also, I've heard, has a secret passage out of the bed closet, with uh, the other end of the passage behind the house. And he keeps a lot of men with him.
1: Look at Halbarth. For a guy no, who's seriously, been sleeping around. Where did he get this information from? <laughs> yeah. A guy who stays in his bed for two years knows an awful lot. I don't know
0: if I would phrase that as sleeping around, Andy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, <laughs> maybe a poor choice of words. Hmm. A guy who is in his bed uh, by himself, mostly, right. for two years. Where does he get this info? But... uh uh, one of his companions Torvi valbranson uh who's probably the most gung-ho of howard's nephews says well, then it's my advice that we set fire to the house and burn a lot of them inside is is that Torvi's voice I he's a little gung-ho you know okay he's a little, he's a little gung-ho
0: you could you can hear it in his voice okay uh no 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 we're we're no burners here's what we'll do and at this point, I assume Halworth gets out a chalkboard and some chalk, because this next bit is very detailed. you going to make a, a few
1: halftime adjustments? Wink. Mm-hmm.
0: I want you to get out there and win. Win just one for the Gipper. Well, I, I don't care what the scoreboard says at the end of the game. In my book, we're going to be winners. <laughs> we're starting to swing a little wide here. <laughs> uh, well, okay, fine. Have it your way. Go ahead. Uh, so... He mainly just gives them all detailed instructions for an assault on the farmhouse. He says, You, Torvi, and you, Huttgrim, will climb up onto the roof of the house, guard the exit to the underground chamber in case the elk tries to make an escape. I trust you two for this. There are two doors at the front of the house and one on each side of the hall. Aeolf and I will go through the front doors, and the brothers, Odd and Thor Thorbinson, you two will go in through the side doors. Thorhut, you stay here and guard the boat. We may need a quick escape, so you're our getaway man. You must defend it with all your might if the occasion arises. Hmm. So that's that's really specific. Well, as you said, I mean, this is, you know, this is not his first rodeo, right? Now yeah. that Halverth is back in the saddle, we're seeing all that experience from a lifetime as a Viking. Well, here, here's what I find interesting about that, because this is a very late you know, kind of post-classical
1: saga. Mm-hmm. Um, are we to assume... That this represents reality because it feels like if you were to attack, if you were to attack a
0: farmhouse, this is a pretty good strategy here. I mean, I've given the number of farmhouses I've attacked. Um, I would certainly be willing to employ these tactics every time. Yeah, right. So, and and again, and I think that's a, that's a great answer because is this
1: the imagination of an author? Who's who's thinking? If I were to attack a farmhouse, what would it look like? Or if a Viking, right. or back in these this time period, were to do it, because he's sitting there in the 14th century writing this this story, presumably, right? Right. I mean, certainly I, this dialogue doesn't survive in a poem or anything like that. So he's he's creating yeah. it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: or is this a person who's maybe burned a farmhouse or two, or attacked a farmhouse or two? Well, what I was thinking thing.
0: is just that. That you know, I think most. Uh, vikings in an actual situation like this when somebody suggests maybe we should burn the farmhouse down would say oh who's got a match i don't really <laughs> feel like it would be <laughs> this idea of like no no that's dishonorable we must we must instead charge in every single doorway at the same time
1: so so you think this is this is an author who's taking some liberties but imagining what it would be like not yeah. necessarily yeah. representing real viking attitudes
0: Right. I mean, we have seen before uh, people attacking a hall and generally speaking, they don't it isn't quite this involved. Right. They mm-hmm. kind of just sort of burst in the front door. So this is a literary. I think plan. So. Interesting. Uh, Very good. But again, okay. I, you know, I've never assaulted a hall, so I would probably employ a tactic like this, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, listeners, you can decide for yourself whether mm-hmm. whether this is uh, literary or representing some sort of reality or a blend of both. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's a great reintroduction to the entire crew, uh, minus Hotgrim's foster father, Aon, who died in the attack on Thorbjorn. Yeah. Um, Second, like we've just talked about, it's a lot of detailed planning. And we might even, dare I say, call this a cunning plan. Ah. And in case anyone
0: is wondering, most of it is, well, it's completely unnecessary. Yeah. uh, Maybe I'm just in a weird place after Loxdala. But I'm kind of enjoying the constant misdirects and undercutting that goes on in this saga. Yeah, I mean, it really keeps you guessing as you go. Yeah, yeah. from a structural point of view, this could all be seen as flaws in the story or maybe evidence of an imperfect transmission of the story. It could, but I'm not ready to say that it does just yet. Well, that's fine. Keep those cards glued to your chest.
1: It's (laughs) something we touched on in the first episode, though. This saga only survives in 17th century copies, and they supposedly derive from a 14th century original, but... There's no sure way of knowing how many generations of Hauras saga were created
0: during those centuries, or even before that. Right, and even that ignores the possibility that this is a deliberate undermining of the narrative. Yep, which I also
1: haven't agreed to yet. Uh,
0: So with everything arranged, uh, the crew moves silently up to the farm. Uh, But it turns out the rumor mill was right about at least one thing. Yacht keeps guards on his property at night. As the attackers pass by a shed, a man leaps up from the shadows and starts running to the house to sound the alarm. Halvorth just told them to watch out for guards, and now, okay, they stumble I remember, into guards. Except for Halvorth, these guys are all on their first killing spree. Yeah, their nerves are maybe a little unsettled, and some of them, some of them have uh,
1: swollen feet. You know, right? <laughs> but uh, you know, not all of them are un, uh, unsettled. Uh, Haltgrim Alsprinson. Uh, reacts quickly. He throws a spear so hard that it impales the guard through the chest and pins him to the wall of the shed.
0: Um, and he dies, which may may be obvious. <laughs> yes, that, well, yeah. Uh, the important part is that he dies quietly. Yeah. So no one inside the farmhouse is alerted. Assassins. So full marks to Hopgrim so far. Yes. Once everyone's in place, Halvarth and Aelf enter the hall. There are some women still awake, but the men have gone to bed. Halvarth passes them by, immediately bangs on the door to Jot's bed closet with the flat of the blade of Gunle, the sword that he stole from Thorbjörn. And from inside, Jot says, Who's
1: out there making that racket?
0: Hey, it's Halvarth from Halvastather.
1: What are you here for, old Halvarth We heard yesterday that you'd met your death.
0: Oh, is that so? Well, now you may hear of a different death. I can tell you of the killing of your brothers, Thorbjorn and Sturtla.
1: Ah, uh, notable witticisms. And yeah. obviously, <laughs> as soon as he hears this,
0: Ljolt leaps out of bed, grabs his sword, and calls his men to come to fight. Right. But Halvard knows better than to let a man with Yot's reputation get out into the open. He shoves his way into the bed closet and hacks at Yot, who partly dodges the blow, but... They're in a very small space, and so he can't get fully away. It slices the skin from his left shoulder, down his arm, all the way to his elbow. Kind of just slices off a hunk. Uh, Yacht then swings at Halvath before he can recover his balance. But Eolf jumps in and slashes at Yacht's right arm, cutting it off near the shoulder. Mm. So you've got three guys in this little bed closet all kind of hacking at each other. Uh, The two of them then attack again, uh, and it isn't long before they've killed Yacht right on the spot. Now, that's three of the
1: Theodriksons down in one night. Mm-hmm. John, can we officially call this a bloodbath? Howarth uh, would like to rage, Andy. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so, he turns out to be pretty good at raging for an octogenarian. Yes. Uh, it's impressive. Now, meanwhile, out of the hall, farmhands and guards are rushing in, and the Thorburnsons are holding them off pretty well. Both sides are taking injuries when Howarth steps back out of the bed closet. Wiping the blood off his sword.
0: It's over. Lie still and don't resist, or we'll slaughter every last man here one by one. <laughs> okay, maybe he is raging. I mean, I mean, <laughs> you know. Uh, but actually, I have to say this is a pretty reasonable offer. I mean, you know, he's 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 not killing everybody indiscriminately. And since Yacht's dead, the farmhands see no point in continuing the fight.
1: Now it turns out that not even his own men like Lyot
0: very much, which is maybe understandable. Right. Yeah, we've mentioned before that there's a pattern of describing this family as unfair and dishonorable. Yeah. Uh, Paul and Dorothy Dur- Durenberger have talked about this. Oh, the, the Durenbergers! Yes, the Durenbergers. They're lo- lovely. Uh, yeah, and as they say, it's not just Thorbjorn who's described as unfair and unpopular. Right, That language shows up repeatedly for multiple siblings in this family. Mm. Part of the saga's strategy for casting Hauvorth as a white hat is to really rub it in that his enemies are just terrible people. Yeah. So, Yolt's men surrender as soon as they know he's not around to punish them. Sure. Well, and when they're being confronted by a group of well-armed men and a blood-stained old Viking on a rampage. Right. So, uh, now, while all
1: this is going on, the rest of Howarth's crew is wandering in. Torvi and Hotgrim eventually get bored standing guard at the trapdoor exit, and they come inside, and they ask what happened. And... Of course, Halvorth is ready with a verse. Another verse. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, Remind me, how did I get stuck reading for Halvorth?
1: Well, I mean, uh, if I remember, it was a while ago, but you wanted me to use my flawless woman's voice for Bjargi. That doesn't sound right. (laughs) Just read the poem.
0: Kyrgyz's son strode in stealth, struck him who lived in wealth. I saw him hew swiftly, his slashing blade aloft. Eolf played with edges, eagerly he sought sedges. Repaid reeds of slaughter, revenge he sought toughly.
1: Mm, Interesting. John, I think you're using uh, the Frederick Heinemann translation there. I am, yeah. There's
0: a lot of rhyming in those verses. Care to, care to yeah. explain why you chose that that one? Uh, yeah, that's a decision that he's made with these. The actual pattern of the verses is a little complicated, with a, a lot of internal assonance being a major component. Mm-hmm. But end rhymes aren't a part of the original, no.
1: Yeah, yeah. I looked at the, uh, the Magnuson and Morris translation, too. It's... It's highly literal, more literal, uh, which means it preserves something from the original poem, which is nice. Uh, for example, the, the word uh, blow easy, uh blood ice, which is a kenning for a sword, is used there.
0: Pretty good. Yeah, a, a, a blade in general, which is yeah. what Heinemann is doing with his translation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dürrenberger's do something oh, the similar. They, the Dürrenberger's, They translate it as sharp sword. Sharp sword, yeah.
1: Uh, sometimes it's just more fun to translate the kennings literally, though. Uh, this is the kind of thing that, that makes me want to do a special episode to really dig into the poetry, but I'm not going to... In our
0: copious spare time. ...promise sure. anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, so the group of men return to the boat, where Thorhot has been passing a quiet night watching moonlight on the water or counting stars, whatever it is he does. As they get in, Torvi asks what they should do next. He's probably hoping that they're going to keep attacking farms all night. He kind of mm-hmm. seems like a gung-ho sort of kid. Yeah, and of course the pattern has already been established, right? That when you ask uh, what we should do next, Halvrith says, go kill another guy. Uh, But I have to assume the rest of the group is probably hoping for a beach party or maybe a nap. It's been a long night. (laughs) Right. Uh, But Halvrith says, now it is time for us to look for support. Although the revenge isn't as complete as I might have hoped, we still can't be sure of protecting ourselves after these deeds. Thorbjörn has many formidable kinsmen still living. It seems best to me that we look to Stainthor of Eri. He promised me support if I ever needed any.
1: So, we, we mentioned Stainthor in the recap from the last episode, but uh, mm-hmm. just to remind you, this is a chieftain who treated Haworth well at the All Thing a year ago. But he didn't exactly offer support, per se. I think the quote <laughs> was something, something along the lines of, Call on me if you ever need a little help. Semantics.
0: We're off to Brave the Fjord. <laughs> Part 10 A Little Help.
1: So the narrative shifts now over to the scene at Iri, at Stainthor's farm. The evening meal has just been laid out, and Stainthor and his men are eating and talking and settling into a quiet night. And the meal is interrupted suddenly by a, a commotion from outside. Howarth and his men walk into the hall, and Howarth stops right in front of where Stainthor is
0: sitting. It's all very cinematic. Right. Yeah, and we have to remember, these guys are still armed and probably splashed pretty liberally with blood. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: Some of them are injured as well, uh, and, and Stainthor just looks at them mildly, uh, turns to Howarth and says, weren't you in our booth last
0: summer? I don't know why, but the the casual nature of that just tickles me. (laughs) It's great. I mean, the whole scene's great.
1: Yeah. You you imagine he's like, you know, eating his, you know, they don't have grapes, but, you know, eating something daintily, uh, having a nice evening, and these dirty, bloody (laughs) men walk in. Um, Weren't you in our booth last summer? Yes. Yes, I was. Boys. Stainthor's uh, talking to his men now. Boys. Have you ever seen anyone more unlike himself than this man now is? <laughs> last summer he seemed unable to hobble about without a staff, and with his great troubles he seemed to be on his last legs. But now look at him. He looks like a an accomplished man of arms. Can you men tell us any news?
0: Well, we can indeed. We report the killing of Thorbjorn Thjordriksson, and the killing of his brother Sturtla, and his brother Ljot Throdriksen, and of Brand the Strong, and, let's see, seven more of their men. Wow, seven? Is that accurate? Seven? Uh, he says it's seven, so we'll take his word for it for now. Uh, things got a little vague during the fighting. Yeah, yeah, something to sort out in the body count. Yep.
1: But uh, Stainthor says, well, this is certainly some news. <laughs> And and who
0: are they that have killed such great warriors and such powerful men? And Halvath introduces his crew. Uh, Let's see. Uh, this is my nephew. And, and this is my nephew. And over there are some nephews. <laughs> uh, and he, he, takes res- nephews. he takes responsibility for the killings himself. Uh, then he adds, and with that done, I had intended, as I am doing now, to look to you. I thought that you said last summer that if I ever needed a little help, I should come to you before other chieftains. I can't imagine
1: when you'll need a lot of help if you call this needing only a little. Valid. (laughs) Don't interrupt me. Oh, sorry. But if I held back now, you'd have no reason to think of me as a good host in a future time of need. I can't allow that to be the case. So I invite you, Havarth, and your companions to remain here with me until this case is concluded. I promise here and now to plead your case, because you are valiant men, and you strike me as men who bring good fortune to those who help you. So far, I can say that
0: the case has proceeded justly, if a little unexpectedly. Right, so first things first, uh, everyone has to get cleaned up and fed, And once that's done, Stainthor questions them more closely about the knight's activities. And, however, you will not be shocked to hear, has a verse ready. I mean, he laid in bed for
1: so long thinking of what, (laughs) you know, what will I say if this happens?
0: Uh Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. this guy's never met a situation he couldn't improvise poetry about. And as you say, he's been coming up with at least frames for these things for a while. Um, Yeah. I don't know why I volunteered to read the guy who speaks all the verses.
1: I mean, is it that hard to read the poem by yourself,
0: English professor? Come on. You know, sometimes I wish you were within smacking range. (laughs) (laughs) The sword trees then laughed, snickering at my fall. May the doom dealt on my son do much harm to them all. Since malicious mockers were murdered with swift blades, Stones weeping in water, whisper sonorous tones.
1: Mm -hmm. It's a good poem. Stones weeping in water. Nice uh, bit of artistic license there. By the translator, you mean? Yeah, I mean, it's not a perfect translation of the line, but it does capture something that the original poem seems to be trying to get across so I, right. I like yeah, it.
0: The, the underlying emotionality, right the the, yeah. um, the, the the tragedy that's right below the surface of all this. Yeah, this is an yeah just to be
1: clear if just to be clear if, if if listeners are wondering stones weeping in water, what does that mean? It's a kenning
0: for for perhaps eyes crying. Oh yes, thank you, yeah. Uh, so this is an illustration of something we've said multiple times. Uh, there's no guaranteed roadmap for translating these verses. Yeah, uh, kennings, versification traditions, figurative thinking—all of it means that the poetry of the sagas is really where the translator's interpretations show up most starkly.
1: Yeah, this this one's got that straightforward kenning in line one—the uh, sword trees as stand-in for the men who mocked Halvard's pain—but the second half.
0: Yeah, yeah, the second half is where it gets naughty. Uh, so I wrote down the translations of these lines. Uh, Morris and Magnuson translate this as. Well, since Odin's woodman went along the death road, otherwise wolf-wearing, wailing... Oh, fuck. It just, it, there's no narrative logic to these lines at all. Yeah. Well, since Odin's woodman went along the death road, otherwise wolf-wailing echoeth over the mountains.
1: Which, while it doesn't make sense all in order <laughs> <No>. <laughs> very well... Yeah, there's there's some words missing there. It does offer a solemnity around the killings. I mean, it, it's it's less focused on the idea of loss and sorrow, though. It, it's more directly about revenge.
0: Yeah. And then there's the Durenbergers. Oh, the Durenbergers. The Durenbergers, who go with, Let them pay for the death of my son differently in every cliff by the sea, since the widely known villains were killed with swords.
1: Yeah. Well, these are all vastly different. Uh, and, and from yeah. this, we learn what?
0: Well, and I, as I already said, right, the translators have to make decisions about which of the shadings of meaning to draw out of the verses. Yeah, uh-huh. the the poetry in this saga is really interesting. So I'm glad you're bringing attention to
1: it now because mm-hmm. uh, Stefan Bjornson, who you met over in Iceland, was uh, he, he wrote Good to day, us. Stefan, He's written to us a few times now. So if you have any questions about the Old Norse poetry, he's the guy to go to. He's a real Icelander. Yeah, probably him, not us. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, But as Stefan has noted in his posts on the subject, these poems stand out not only for their heathen references, but for their complexity as well. Uh, Even as a real living and breathing Icelander raised on the language, Stefan has trouble Mm -hmm. with these poems. But that's not really surprising because they're they're likely remnants of a much older version of this saga. Right. And I think I think we mentioned it before, but Sturtle Thortherson, uh, writing in the late 13th century, referred to the saga of Thorbjorn and Halvart the Lame. And when he retells some of the material from the saga, it's not quite the same as what is preserved in the later surviving versions that, that we're using for, for this podcast.
0: Mm-hmm. Well... Right. And as we'll see later on, uh, there's there's a few verses where it's pretty clear that the saga has been written in order to justify the verse rather than the other way around,
1: which is not unusual for
0: for the sagas. No, we just haven't come across one where it's so pronounced in a while, which is why we're bringing attention to it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and speaking of, you know, poetry and how love of poetry? Mm -hmm. uh, He recites multiple verses that night. But we don't we don't need to go into each of them separately. That yes, b- though nice. there is a study, if you're looking for a paper to write or a book to write, mm-hmm. uh, a study of the verses in in Halberth Saga, not a bad idea. Uh, Stefan, what are you doing with your spare time? <laughs> Presumably,
0: he's working but on it right now.
1: The gist of it all is that some very powerful men have been killed, and so Stainthor points out that there's likely to be a serious case brought by his relatives over these killings. And mm-hmm. Halvor says that. He'll never have any sorrow or grief in his heart over the consequences or feel dissatisfied with the way that things have worked out, which right. I really like, John, given yeah. what's been set up in this saga and what Howarth has been through.
0: Yeah, I mean, but this is also something that's very easy to say before there are any actual consequences knocking at the door. Sure, but, I mean, Halbarth's
1: and Bjargi's sole mission in life after the death of Olaf was to mm-hmm. seek vengeance for that. Anything that comes after that, they don't really care about.
0: Right. I mean, it's yeah, it is harder to scare a very old man with thoughts of death. <laughs> y- yes, yes.
1: Especially when he's so passionate about the vengeance that he's seeking. Now that it's complete, I don't think well, he's like really afraid of... Well, he said it's not complete. Of,
0: Remember, in his mind, it's not complete yet.
1: That's true. It's not complete. But it is complete. But it's not complete. We'll see. You know. Now, as far as Howarth is concerned, the most important piece of it is done. So he seems to be at peace and ease uh, throughout the rest of the night. In fact, he's the life of the party at Mm -hmm. Stainthor's. He's happy and delighted with the energy of a young man. And as the saga says, we leave Howarth's crew for a while as they dwell with Stainthor in good cheer And at great expense.
0: Well, they've earned a little
1: R&R. Sure. uh, But the at great expense part doesn't sound so great, at least for Stainthor. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, that's why you find an aristocrat's house to hide out in. (laughs) Now, meanwhile, the rumor mill is always turning in Iceland. And over the next few days, the news of these killings spreads everywhere. As you might expect, people are stunned by the story of
0: Howarth's Revenge. Well, they would be, wouldn't they? I mean, imagine, it. hey, did you hear? The most vicious chieftain in the Westfjords and two of his brothers were all killed by Methuselah the Viking. <laughs>
1: right. Well, technically, Sturtlow was killed by one of the nephews, uh, Thor Thorbundsen, but... Yeah, that's not know. a fun rumor, though. No, it's not. Uh, so, we talked about Stainthor a bit in the last episode, but we need to underline that this is... It's, again, an important guy that Halworth managed to get as his protector.
0: Yeah, well, he's the oldest of the Thorlaxons. Yes. Um, according to Erbija Saga, he's the best of his family. Stainthor is described as, in, in, in Erbija Saga, uh, he's described as big and strong, a skilled fighting man of outstanding ability, and a taciturn man, normally very quiet. He's also one of the three best fighters in Iceland in his generation. Well, there's that, yeah. Uh, and he's politically connected, too. To give just one example, his son, Thord, is married to Snorri Gothi's daughter, Halbera. Uh, uh, he's a good man to have fighting in your corner, is the point of it all. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of Abedges Saga, something we didn't really dig into last time are the various links between that saga and Halberth's saga. Mm-hmm. And honestly, we probably shouldn't do it now. But there are substantial connections.
1: Well, why why don't we just pause this saga and go back and redo our biggest saga and Great. you know? But now, do it for 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 example, what what do you think well, about I, I mean we just we just talked about Stainthor. Thor. The crowd demands more. Give us more, John. Uh, Barabbas? <laughs> wrong crowd. Wrong yeah, well, crowd.
0: Sturtla Thjodriksen is an example.
1: Oh Sturtla! yes. Uh, this is the brother of Thorbjorn and Ljot, uh, the one who Havar's nephew Thorir killed in the ambush in the harbor, right?
0: Right. Yeah, he's actually mentioned prominently in Erbidget. Uh He's one of the leaders of Snorri's expedition to destroy Ospak the Outlaw's band of criminals. Yes. Yeah. He's actually the one who killed Ospak during that battle. And is, I yeah. fought
1: very hard to get that whole thing into, <laughs> <laughs> into the graphic novel, uh, but we were out of pages, uh, so yeah. I just got to kind of put it into one one quick little you know, uh, Well, that's a panel. lot to explain. I mean, you know. It, it was. That's what I was told. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a lot. My favorite <laughs> detail already... about
0: this is is that after Sturtla kills Auspach, he stands over the body for the rest of the battle because he wants to make sure he gets all the credit for killing him. Yes. Yeah. Well, he he was working with Snorri Gothi. You, you'd you'd want to <laughs> count
1: your gold fillings after dealing Aww, with that guy. So
0: Shut up. is uh, hey. the only one of the Theodriksons to play a role in another saga, though. Uh, and yet in this saga... He's the one given short shrift, which is mm-hmm. part of why we didn't get around to discussing it last time, honestly. Well, not the only reason, though. I mean, yeah, I also lost my notes last time and didn't remember to bring it up during the recording. <laughs> well, there's that. Yes. Uh, it's also important for an overall understanding of the saga. Uh, but we'll we'll get back to it another time. For now, we've mm-hmm. got to meet a couple of new kids. Yeah. I mean, the, the the short of it is
1: lots of interesting people here who, if you yep. know your sagas, you recognize. That's yeah. all.
0: Part 11, A Strange Thing Happened on the Way to Ravisand. Andy, I'd like to introduce you to a couple of feisty Icelandic tweens. Thorsten (laughs) and Grim Thorbjörnissen. See, I mean, if you introduce them like that, you're going to confuse people. Like what? Well,
1: Thorbjörnissen.
0: Oh, okay, that's actually a good point. Um, Yeah, these are not the sons of Thorbjörn, the late and unlamented Theodriksson. Uh, This is a different Thorbjörn. That's right. Although, now that I said that,
1: did anyone really, who's listening, really, like, did they track the, they're like, oh, Thorbjörnersons, I know exactly who that is.
0: I mean, who knows? But it's a fair point that it could theoretically be confusing.
1: It could be. So if you are paying attention, uh, these are not those Thorbjörnersons. Your reward for paying attention
0: is that you get to be confused. (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's right. Uh, but but trust me, I'm paying attention. So this Thorbjörn is a cranky farmer from Rauðarsand. He's an older man who's built up a comfortable amount of wealth, but he's also gained a reputation for being a rather unpleasant and mean-spirited person. And this Thorbjörn and his sons, uh, Thorstein and Grimm, Thorbjörnarsson, well, they have a problem. See, they're not related to the Late Thorbjorn, but they do live next door to his brother, Mm -hmm. a chief named Ljot, the dueler.
0: See how it's all coming together? This is
1: yet another
0: brother of Thorbjorn Throdriksson. He is, yeah. He's not the first one we've met, obviously, but he he is. He's not even the first one named Ljot that we've met. Uh, (laughs) Right. Obviously, it's not the same Ljot who Halvrith just killed. No, no. (laughs) This Ljot lives a ways from his brothers, out on the uh, southwestern edge of the Westfjords. Uh, I'm not the map guy, but the southwestern Westfjords means that this Yacht is living much closer to the farm of Stainthorveri than the others. Indeed he is. Uh-huh. Uh, and Yacht is a well-known pain in the hindquarters to everyone else in the area. Mm-hmm. He's a chieftain, in fact, uh, but he's a terror to his own supporters.
1: So many chieftains a lot of chieftains, in these sagas. Uh, especially especially um, in, in this, this family. One.
0: Yeah, it's a little suspicious. Well, Talking about the suspension of disbelief. Well, but or whatever. from the 14th century perspective or the 17th century perspective, you know, it's a kind of proto-Storgothar situation, right? You have a family that's collecting chieftaincies and becoming corrupted by all that power. Right, but a, a Storgothar would be
1: one person who represents that family. Here, they've distributed that power mm-hmm. across these these various individuals. But proto- yes, <laughs> <laughs> Right. What we're supposed to understand is they're very powerful, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, like his brothers, uh, Lyot is known for his unjust behavior. Uh, this saga doesn't mince words about its bad characters no. or its good characters. They're either all bad or all good. Now, the saga calls him variations of o Mother uh several times in just this next bit that we're talking about. Uh, something of a family trait, actually. They're all
0: yeah, uneven I, men. Yeah, I think we're supposed to understand the pH balance was off in their gene pool. There's a, a <laughs> bit of a difference between Thorbjörn and Jolt, though.
1: Sure, yeah. Thorbjörn was unjust because of his overbearing personality and his fragile ego. Mm-hmm. He couldn't stand to hear anyone else spoken well of. Uh, Jolt's bad behavior mostly comes from his greed. He takes anything he wants from his neighbors and sinks an axe in the head of anyone who argues with him about it.
0: Yeah, it's so a little more straightforward. Right. It's part of the insight, I think, that sagas have about human behavior. Uh, A fair number of other medieval texts create villains by essentially saying something like, there was no cruelty that was alien to his nature or something like that. Yeah. Uh, Here we get these quick character sketches that still manage to be specific and closely observed. Right. You can predict how someone like Yot is liable to make life difficult for his neighbors and how that's going to be different from the way his brothers might suck.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, You
1: know, if, if this was um a continental kind of religious text, each of these brothers would represent a different sin, hmm. right? Yeah. And, and there's at least the implication of something like that right. here. But it, it's not fully followed through. But, right. Certainly, there's a Christian influence in the characterizations of what is negative um, in these in these men. But in this case, Ljoltz, a greedy dueler who's remarkably big, he's skilled in fighting, and he's also, like we said, a chieftain. So there isn't a lot that people can do to stop him, which is the problem that people who live within the regions of these fam- this family uh, have suffered for quite a while now.
0: Yeah, as the saga says, no one's head in Ralthasan was safe around him. Yeah, and this head-endangering thug lives next door to Thorbjörn, the farmer's property. It's actually worse than that. Uh, Thorbjörn and Jot own a meadow that runs along their properties. They co-own it. They've agreed to share Mm -hmm. it by alternating summers for using it. Uh, This would have been a fairly common arrangement. I mean, we've
1: seen it in several sagas before, like Erpige Saga. Mm -hmm. Uh, neighbors try to find ways to share property amicably rather than deal with the headaches of policing a border between their holdings, but right.
0: uh, it doesn't always work out. Yeah, no, land-sharing arrangements take various forms. Uh, if you remember, in Ailhood's quote-unquote saga, the woodland that Alehood accidentally burned down was jointly owned by six chieftains. Yeah. Uh, that's sort of an extreme example, but in general, it's not like anyone's building brick walls or long fences around their property. Remember, this is exactly why Halvard's son Olaf was going out into the wild and collecting everyone's stray sheep. If your neighbor isn't terrible, it's usually easiest to find a way to share and get along. Yeah, but in this case, the neighbor is terrible. The meadow's water supply is controlled
1: by a sluice gate in the creek that runs through it. And that sluice gate is on Ylt's property.
0: Right. So it turns out that whenever it's Thorbjorn's turn to use the land... There isn't enough water, and the grass turns brown. But on Jolt's ears, it's green and lush. It's a real mystery. It's a puzzler. Uh, and it gets worse. After a few years, Yolt starts telling people that Thorbjorn doesn't actually have any rights to use the meadow, and shouldn't dare oh. to claim otherwise if he knows what's good for him.
1: And obviously Thorbjorn knows what Yolt's doing, but he doesn't want to cross a politically powerful murderer. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't have a lot of options. Who does? Really. What he does do is arrange to run into Ljot one day by the boundary of their lands. And Thorbjorn asks, I want to know, Ljot, whether you
0: intend to take this pasture away from me, as it seems. Ljot says, Look, you will be wiser not to mention the matter. It won't do you any <laughs> good to complain about the way I want to have things. So here are your choices. Be content with what I choose to do. Or I'll run you off your land. Then you'll have neither the pasture nor anything else. Will that content you?
1: Hmm. Hmm. Something very realistic about that (laughs) that
0: option. So, uh, John, under these circumstances, you know, what would you do? I mean, discretion is the better part of valor. Uh, Running away is the better part of discretion. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> right, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, Thorbjorn has no real skill as a fighter, mm-hmm. but he does have a secret weapon, a lot of money. <laughs> so he bravely buys the land off of Ljot for the price that Ljot demands. And that price is 2,000,
0: mm-hmm. pieces of silver to be paid in cash. Yeah, little context there. Uh, I spent a few minutes leafing through the Graugas. The law codes, uh, just to get some points of comparison. So, the penalty for trying to escape a legal obligation of jury duty is three marks of silver. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same penalty, three marks, is paid if your dog gets off its leash and bites someone. Uh, an ambiguous slander is penalized at 24 ounces of silver. It really sounds like these are made up. Yeah. I know they're not, but it really sounds like they are. hmm
1: uh, how much for an unambiguous slander? Uh, well, you can My double favorite. it. That's 48
0: ounces. Well, that's an expensive insult for an it is. unambiguous insult. Uh, I'll skip a bit. The fine for actual murder is 200 ounces. Sure. So yacht is demanding about 660 jury duty penalties or oh. 83 ambiguous yo mama jokes or <laughs> 10 wereguild man prices for a plot of land. But it's good grazing land. It's got yeah, that, it's, you know, river runs through it and yeah, all. Yeah, it's also land that Thorbjörn already owns. <laughs> now for the low, low price of 83 <laughs> Yo
1: Mama jokes, you can work this farmland that you kind of already own.
0: Yo Mama drives a hard we bargain. Are... <laughs> that one's free. <laughs> <Your mama. laughs> well, we already said that Ljolte is motivated by greed, and well, here you go. He's probably very happy now because... Thorbjörn manages to raise the funds and pay Jolt's asking price. Crazy. But not everyone back on his farm is happy about the news. So, are you uh, finally ready to talk about the
1: sons of Thorbjörn, the gentleman you introduced at the very beginning? I was just opening the door for that.
0: So, the two boys are 12-year-old Thorsten and his 10-year-old brother Grim, And both brothers are of the opinion that their father just stupidly submitted to a great robbery of their estate... By buying they're something he already owned. They're not wrong. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when you say it like that, it doesn't sound great, and yeah. it's not. It's, it sounds like they don't want
1: their father giving away their inheritance. <laughs> well, of course. And and the thing is that everyone in the district agrees that this is ridiculous. But no one is willing to speak up and risk making an enemy of Yalt the Dueler.
0: Well, so if the boys want anything done about Yalt, they're going to have to do it for themselves. Well,
1: yes, but that's easier said than done. There's a good reason why no one wants to make an enemy of Yolt, as his right, name yeah. suggests. I mean,
0: you know, see above the fact that his name is the Dueler. Uh, so yeah. the sons continue to stew about the situation. And then finally, one morning when they're out tending the sheep, Thorsten says to Grim, Hey, do you see Yolt the Dueler coming up from the beach over there?
1: Oh, no. Yeah, Little kid what? voices. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> this is getting dark. <laughs> All right. Well, these two young lads are about to get themselves killed trying to redeem their family's name. So prepare yourself.
0: The important thing to remember, Andy, is that they love their father very much. Okay. Uh, Thorstein continues, That man does us and so many others injustices. I'm inclined to a bit of revenge if I can manage it.
1: This is going to be sad, everyone. You
0: you have to do Grimm's part. I don't want to.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But Fine. Uh, Grimm says Why should I not see him? It seems foolish to me to say that You're going to show your hostility to a fighter like Lyot. They say he's mightier than five men No child is a match for him See, John, that's good advice <laughs> Thorstein should listen to his brother
0: Well, sadly he's not going to uh, And when it becomes Aww. clear that Grimm can't stop him He agrees to help his brother So hey Whatever happens, Andy, at least they'll be together.
1: Probably not much of a consolation for their poor mother. Uh,
0: both brothers are armed with hand axes and not much else. Mm. Uh, nevertheless... That only they, does like one to seven damage. Yeah, not I much. know. Uh, they get themselves into position near the shed and they wait until Yot passes by. He just ignores them, hurrying on his way. Uh, but as soon as he's past them, Thorsten leaps onto the track behind him and strikes Yot on the shoulder. Okay. Yeah, but Thorsten's only 12, and he's swinging a small axe. Um, It doesn't even cut through Yolt's heavy coat. Ooh. Yeah. It does dislocate his shoulder, though, so there's that at least. Uh, But Yolt spins around and swings his axe at Thorsten's head. Here it comes. See, okay, I know you've read this, so you're just messing around. I'm creating dramatic tension. Good job.
1: (laughs) Uh, Because Yolt... Makes a huge swing with his axe. And before the blow can land, Grim slashes out. Not you, dog. The the character. <laughs> Grim slashes at Yolt's arm and chops off his weapon hand above the wrist. And all three of them freeze for a second. Because honestly,
0: no one was expecting that. <laughs> no one. Uh, Especially my dog, yeah, who just heard his name. Right. <laughs> they all watch as the axe and hand fall to the ground together. And then the brothers, the 12-year-old and the 10-year-old, hack at Yacht together. Yes. And as the saga says, as strange as it may seem, they killed Yacht the Dueler then and there, without taking a (laughs) single injury themselves. (laughs) It's great. And it does seem strange. But there you go. It's a much
1: happier outcome than most people probably expect reading this saga. (laughs) And honestly, I mean, these two are lucky, but they're still amateurs. And it's great. (laughs) They kick some snow over the corpse and then return to their own home. Now, they are making all kinds of mistakes in terms of legal obligations of a killer. But they're not
0: experienced murderers. This is a new thing for them.
1: Yeah. So when they return home, after covering the body in snow, they're met at the door by their father, Thorbjorn. And he asks them why their clothes are all splashed with blood. Mm -hmm. Because they apparently forgot to clean their shirts after the
0: attack. Again, not professionals. Can't expect old heads on young shoulders.
1: I mean, did Halvarth clean up before he went to Stainthor's house? Good point.
0: Can't expect yeah, so. old heads on old shoulders either.
1: Exactly. Uh, but when they when they tell their father what they've done, their father is horrified, <laughs> understandably. Uh, remember, killing enemies is not a family tradition, and Thorbjorn is known for being unpleasant, but not
0: aggressive. Go, go, go away, you creatures of misfortune. You have committed the most unfortunate deed. Uh, Killed a very great chieftain and our leader. What you have done will deprive me of my land and all that I own. And you two will be killed for it. And it'll serve you right.
1: I'll say two things. It's a little harsh Mm -hmm. from the father. Yeah. And it really exposes his weakness.
0: Well, like... I mean, not a
1: good look from Thor for Thor. You think
0: that exposes weakness. The next thing he does is to turn and run away from them and run away from the farm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I <laughs> I remember reading this and thinking, "What a
1: strange fellow." <laughs> he throws a full-blown hissy fit yep. and runs away. And Grim's just about done with his father at this point, which I can't blame him. He says, "Well, let's not pay. <laughs> He's, he says, "Let's not pay. Any, <laughs> let's not pay any attention to this shameful fool who acts so tediously. It's no ordinary coward who carries on so." <laughs> Such a funny thing to read that's, in the, that's, that's what, what we're using 10-year-old. as a child's
0: voice. Yeah. the uh, no, Thorston is a little more patient. He says, "No, no. Let's let's go after him. I suspect he isn't quite so angry as he pretends to be."
1: Yeah, well, he probably is just so scared. Yeah. Uh, But when they catch up with their father, he's completely changed his attitude. Mm -hmm. He speaks cheerfully to them, and he asks them to wait for a moment while he runs back to the farm. This guy's a little (laughs) flighty, John, but they're kids, so they do what he tells them. Mm -hmm. I'd be suspicious, though.
0: (laughs) I mean, you know, he comes back in a little while with two horses, uh, and he does have a plan. He says, "Uh, here's my plan. Oh, good. Uh, I I will send you to to my friend, Stainthorpe. Uh, oh boy. Here's a gold ring you should give him. It's a great treasure, and he's offered to buy it and been turned down before now. But I turn it over to you in this time of need. And then he kisses them both on the forehead and sends them away. I, I really like
1: the approach to fathering here. He's like, Oh, you've done something dangerous,
0: potentially yeah. harmful
1: to yourselves? <laughs> Why don't you get as far away from me as possible? Hmm?
0: Well, but it's also sending them where they can be protected, right? He's not a fighter. That's right. Right? That's right. That if anybody comes looking for them, he can't really do anything about it. Yeah. And, and it's Stainthor I feel
1: bad for because <laughs> he seems like he's been awfully free with his friendship, at well, least in kind of general general
0: promises. Yeah. And now look at him. I mean, he's got a reputation as a generous man with a strong sense of right and wrong, right? That's, that's yeah. an enviable reputation to have, but it can get expensive. Yeah. I guess it's better than being the kind of chieftain who gets killed
1: by his followers' kids. That, you know? That's a good point. I would take that deal. <laughs> yeah, so the brothers ride straight through to Stainthor's farm, and they arrive during a, a daytime
0: drinking session. <laughs> Skull! It's looking good, Garbund. What a mountain of your Yo, mama, yo, mama! <laughs> uh, nice, nice folio Thank there. you, thank you.
1: Uh, now Thorstein and Grim introduce themselves, and the assembled crowd all welcome the boys. Mm-hmm. Thorstein gives Stainthor his father's ring and asks for a place to stay for the winter, or as long as they need. And Stainthor looks at them for a moment, but then he takes the ring and he says, So now, do you bring any other
0: news? Well, have you heard of the former chieftain, Yot the Dueler? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and St. Thor replies, I- I'm sorry, did you say former? Yeah, well, they explain the whole thing. And obviously this this news causes a bit of a sensation. Sure. Yeah, so
1: Stainthor says... Well, this is yet another marvel that two boys should be the downfall of a warrior of Ljot's renown.
0: What was your reason
1: for this killing?
0: Well, he sold our dad some land, which, I mean, I realize as I'm reading it that it sounds bad when you say it that way. <laughs> yeah, it's true, though. I, and St. Thor thinks for a moment, and then he says,
1: Well, it's my advice that the two of you go talk to Halworth, the greybeard sitting opposite me. Ask him whether he'll accept you into his troop. I think you'll find you have a lot in common.
0: <laughs> I think you will. It's
1: great. Uh, of course, uh, Havarth is sitting about six feet away from this conversation, so he yeah, can hear everything.
0: But it's it's bad form to eavesdrop, and you're you're not going to catch Halvarth dropping any eaves. He's mm. he's very carefully not listening to this conversation. Uh, in fact, when the boys approach him. He pretends that he hasn't even been listening at all and doesn't know who they are. Uh, And when they tell him of the death of Yelp the Dueler, Halvath leaps to his feet and recites a verse that he definitely wasn't composing while not listening to them tell things to (laughs) (laughs) Stendorf. Right. You are dear to me for this death. To Dagger Tree be true. May thickets of terror tread long days on the earth. Yachts fain fall to the earth filled my men with great joy. Hear, Westmen, these drear words, bringing woe to your hearts.
1: So at this point, Havorth is collecting a crew of uh, Theodrikson killers under his leadership. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: And Stainthor is at least implicitly bankrolling them. I mean, That's one way of putting it, yeah. Uh, can we take a second to talk about the order of events here?
1: Okay. I mean, the chronology in this saga isn't always clear. Is that what you mean?
0: Yeah. Uh, for instance, we've just covered the killing of two brothers, both named Jot.
1: Yeah. Uh, they're not Thorbjörn Gothis last two brothers, by the way. Uh, he's got one more brother, still living, uh, who we're going to meet in the next episode, but... But okay, yes. So when did the second Yolt's killing take place? I mean, I'm no doctor, but I'm pretty sure it was when uh, Thorstein and Grimm were hacking him to pieces. (laughs) Cute. That's
0: cute. Uh, I mean, we're sure from context that it was after Halverth had wiped out most of his brothers, right? But how long after? Hmm. Uh, Yolt the Dueler doesn't seem in any way on his guard about possible danger. Uh, He certainly isn't preoccupied by grief or thoughts of revenge, as far as we can tell.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, are you sure it's long enough after for him to even know about it? Mm-hmm. I mean, he does live a good distance away from the others. And all we know is that Halvarth is
0: at Stainthor's when the boys show up there. So sure. how much time has passed is really unclear. Well, that's my point. It's even possible that it happens on the same day. Right? I mean, narratively, mm-hmm. that might be even more satisfying.
1: Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, in that case, the the daytime drinking session reads as a welcoming party for Haworth and his men, or at least a continuation of that, whether it's right. a day or multiple days, but within a couple days, yeah. sure.
0: My point is that we don't know. right? There's no chronological context given, except that both killings happen in the same autumn. Mm-hmm. Uh, the time and his knowledge of his brother's deaths are both unclear. I mean, obviously, it's all relative, so to speak. It's a good example, though, of the sagas' indifference to timeframes.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are entire studies about this, and we've we've uh, we've talked about it before on this, yeah, on the podcast. Yeah but I, how
0: how deep do you do you want to go no, here? I don't want to go deep. Uh, I know we need to move on. I'm just I'm just pointing it out as a feature, not a bug. Right? Um, sagas work on event based time. Time slows down when detail is needed, like multiple mm-hmm. killings happening in multiple places in a similar time frame and then it speeds up when not much happens narratively for a while right it's sure. it's the same sort of mechanism that uh, allows us to be then surprised when a child in the sagas suddenly becomes an adult or when someone like Gudrun Allods' daughter or Aelskuld Grimson ages in fits and starts over the course of their stories
1: yeah i couldn't agree more and and speaking of time moving forward smooth
0: part 12 a husband in the haystack.
1: All right, so four of the five Theodric'sons are dead. And Howarth is now the unlikely leader of a crew of outlaws that includes two children.
0: Yeah, not outlaws really, though. Not literally,
1: no, but it's a real danger. And they're all hiding out at Stainthor's house because
0: they're worried that it is going to get literal pretty quickly. Well, that's that's more of a long-term problem. Mm. Uh, For the moment, they're all just enjoying the hospitality at Stainthor's house while they hide out there for the winter. And uh, as was indicated
1: very early on with Stainthor, this is going to get expensive quickly. And Mm -hmm. it does. There's just too many of them. And being a good host involves putting out a lot of food and drink Mm -hmm. and other entertainment. So it's expensive. When we began Lexdala saga, we talked about the relatively low wealth levels in Iceland, even among the comparatively rich. Weddings, feasts, and other gatherings have to be planned for when the harvest comes in, since that's the only time a surplus amount of fresh food is available. Even a chieftain in medieval Iceland doesn't necessarily have all those resources
0: to support nine extra men uh, through a whole winter. Right, especially when they show up after the harvest. Yeah. Right. Which means after the calculation about the household's winter needs has already been made. Right. And now Stainthor's running through his winter food stores and his money a lot
1: faster than he had planned for. And so he does need to find a new source for food and drink or
0: get rid of these guys. Right. And he's not going to do that because he believes in their cause. Yeah. Which means we have to introduce some new people into the saga. Again.
1: But not too many. Just Stainthor's sister Thordis and her husband Atli. Yeah, and this is not a happy marriage. Uh, I don't know that we need to be airing out their dirty laundry, but uh, yeah, <laughs> they, they've got their problems. Uh, Thordis is a strong-minded, assertive woman, but Otli is an undersized, miserable-looking twerp. He's described as an awkward <laughs> man. Uh, he's both wretched and ugly, with a bald head and deep-set eyes. But uh,
0: he's also shrewd and successful with a lot of land and businesses. Yeah, the text actually says he was so rich that he scarcely knew the extent of his own wealth. Yeah. This guy's like a puny Icelandic Mansa Musa. <laughs> what he is, is a hardworking miser and a miserable
1: paranoiac. He's so paranoid mm-hmm. that he sleeps in the storehouse to guard his well-stocked larder. Yeah. authorities barely tolerates him and is fairly upfront about the fact that she was married to him for his money and she doesn't care for him all that much.
0: Yeah, and this is the guy Stainthorpe wants to ask for a little loan. Uh, Yep, that's that's the one. Uh, Not really a little
1: loan, though. He does need a (laughs) supply of food and drink and whatever else you need to suddenly get more of when a band of killers hunkers down in your house and you accidentally told them they could stay until the case is resolved. (laughs) Right. Maybe he's looking for some milk and cookies? I don't know. I'm guessing cheese is heavily involved. Uh, lots of dairy products, yeah. Maybe some yeah. little finger sandwiches. Oh, anyway, nice. <laughs> Stainthor and his houseguest have to get in a ship and make a trip across Braithavjord to Ultradal to see whether he can't borrow a cup of sugar from his sister and brother in law. Surprise! The trip goes pretty well, but as they come within sight of the farm, Atli spots them and he decides. He's not in the mood to deal with his chieftain brother-in-law at the moment.
0: Well, in fairness, it is a strange time of year to be out and about without an invitation. Yeah. Uh, Otley's no slouch when it comes to money. He might suspect Stan Thor's reason for dropping by. It's pretty speculative,
1: but could be, could be true. Mm-hmm. He might just be trying to avoid having to offer any help of any kind. Sure. But whatever his reason, Otley's solution is a little strange. He runs into a lean-to in his hayfield and pulls a haystack over on top of himself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not a cunning plan.
1: No, it's hilarious, though. Uh, And and effective. No one thinks to look for this rich miser under a musty haystack. (laughs) And so Stainthor has to Mm -hmm. greet his sister and discuss things
0: with her instead. Well, of course, that actually works out for Stainthor, since yeah. unlike Atli, uh, Thordis isn't tight with her silver. She offers to give Stainthor whatever he needs from the copious supplies she has in their storehouses. Yeah. And, of course, she knows exactly what they've got in there, since she's the one in charge of the supplies. And in the end, she just gives
1: her brother an entire storehouse worth of stuff. Yeah. Uh, Stainthor and Halvorth and his men stuff their ship with a wide variety of foods. And when they're done, Stainthor tells Haworth. You and your friends return to Aerie in the ship, but I'm going to wait here for a bit. I'm curious about how my brother-in-law will act when he returns home.
0: Yeah, Thordis doesn't much like the idea, but she agrees reluctantly. She also makes Stainthorpe promise that he won't be less of a friend to her husband than before, no matter what he says or does. Oh, I see. <laughs> uh-huh. We've we've uh, seen this, then- this uh, uh, quite a few times in the subject. <laughs> Then she hides her brother behind a wall hanging, and suddenly we're in a whole different saga yeah. with drawing room comedy stuff going on. Yeah, I mean that's that's not wrong.
1: Uh, Thordis has a husband in the haystack and a brother behind the drapes. Yeah,
0: all we need now is a sassy butler. <laughs> Maybe an older couple to occasionally wander through the farmhouse saying,
1: Well, I never.
0: Uh, and at least one case of mistaken identity, too. Oh, yeah. The sassy servant and the husband are twins. I see. All Why right. hasn't this happened? Why isn't anybody. I'm writing this TM, TM, TM. Uh, anyway, uh, a few
1: minutes go by and Atli wanders in, shivering with cold and brushing wisps of hay from his shirt. <laughs> oh, yeah, we, we forgot to mention, uh, but Otley was dressed in a tight-fitting white shirt when he ran out. Oh, so right. he's been freezing in the haystack for at least a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. And it's a good detail, especially in a saga where Olaf Harvorsen,
0: uh walked around in his shirt sleeves all winter without getting a chill. It's a good point. Uh, it's a manliness indicator. Presumably. Absolutely. Right. Being a human furnace is a good and manly quality. That's right. Uh, I imagine Henry Cavill is quite
1: warm. There you go. (laughs) Um, Anyway, and if that is a test of a man's manliness, Otley is failing it miserably. Yeah, in so many ways. Now, he asks his wife, through chattering teeth, who the thieves were who just robbed their storehouse. And Thordis replies, My brother was here with some men, and I gave him the supplies you claim were
0: stolen. Uh, uh, I rue the day I married you. I don't know any robbers worse than your brother and his friends. I'm bereft of all my wealth. We shall have to go begging. Oh, stop
1: it. We have plenty of money. Just get into bed and let me warm you up a bit. You look half frozen. And so the two of them go into bed, with Otley still complaining. But after a while, the complaining stops.
0: And then there's quiet for a bit. And suddenly things are getting a little awkward for Stainthor behind the curtain. I mean, <laughs> Thordis did tell him she didn't think it was a good idea for him to stay. Yeah, well, whatever's going on in the bed, it's working. Uh, after some time has passed, Atli says, well, "Well, there is this to say, that in you I have a great treasure of a wife." <laughs> And <laughs> so weird, like we haven't seen
1: this kind of action in the saga, have we?
0: No, we have not.
1: Well, things are getting a little loose in the 14th century, I guess, or yep. or the 17th or whenever, right? Right, this, I think this is one of those was... post medieval
0: indicators, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, and it's it's just going to get a little bit more uncomfortable for Stainthor standing there behind the drapes.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's also true that a such a sort of splendid fellow as our kinsman Stainthor is scarce to be found. It's best that he took what he did. It's it's as if I still have it for it to be with him. <laughs> I wonder what
1: she whispered to him as whatever was happening was happening.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: and Stainthor, probably blushing furiously, now steps out from hiding and approaches the bed. And he mm-hmm. and Otley exchange compliments for a bit while Thordis <laughs> watches over them.
0: That's a, <laughs> Nobody really comments on the fact that he suddenly like just steps out from behind the aris. Yeah, like, oh!
1: <laughs> I mean, it's, it's very different from Gisli's
0: visit to his sister, so. Right, right. At least there's that. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, nobody gets stabbed. It's great. Uh, eventually, Otley says, You know, you did a great thing when you nobly took in those men who have avenged the wrongs done to them. You will undoubtedly conclude things honorably, and for this reason, I wish you to prosper magnificently for your deeds. Wow. Wow. Yep. Otley has completely changed
1: his tune now.
0: Well, Thordis was very convincing. I suppose she was. Uh, more to the point, it's now clear that she's going to be able to successfully manage her husband and keep him in support of Stainthor. And as, we, as we'll as we see, that's going to come in handy. And Stainthor recognizes that it's time for friendly parting.
1: So he mm-hmm. says, "Oddly, my kinsman, I'd like to request that you behave better than you have up to now. Try to be more sociable take some farm hands and behave well to them mm-hmm. i know you're not so mean-spirited as you seem though you act that way because of your temperament
0: wait what hey, hang on he's he's not a nasty jerk he just acts that way because he's a nasty jerk <laughs>
1: Yeah, that last part really seems to indicate something yeah. like that, right? Uh, <laughs> you're, you're not a nasty jerk. You just act like a jerk because of your temper. Right, because, because you're basically one. <laughs> right. I mean, it, you know, I think he means it a little more nicely than that. But yeah, Stainthor mm-hmm. is telling Oddly to start acting like a better man than he's been before and things will right. turn out better for him. I mean, essentially to be more like his wife. Yeah, basically. Uh, so that concludes that really weird scene. Uh, yeah. and Stainthor returns home and thanks to his <laughs> presumably to curl up in the fetal position and pretend that
0: <laughs> the things he has not I experienced heard. any of the things oh. he's experienced that day
1: Yeah, uh, so Stainthor returns home and uh, thanks to his resupply the rest of the winter is spent very pleasantly so thanks Otley. Uh mm-hmm. there are winter games and everyone enjoys themselves and things seem to be going swimmingly who cares about this this feud and these sure. lawsuits that are coming
0: I mean, not everybody's having a fantastic time. Uh, there's a giant of a servant named Svart who works on Stainthor's farm. He's as strong as four men, but not the most coordinated guy. Uh, Stainthor calls Svart over during the games and says, We're short a man for today's game, so I'm sending you in to play.
1: You really shouldn't ask this of me, since I have a lot of work to do. I'm betting your fine champions won't be doing any work for me. But all the same, I'll do what you ask. Hey, there's our sassy butler right there. Didn't sound very sassy. <laughs> <laughs> if I knew I was supposed to be sassy, I, you know, I might have no, gone with a listen different to him. No,
0: to No, I'm just because he's, he's smarting off about how they're not going to do his work for of him. Of course, of course. Um, but, you know, he's got a lot of cultural baggage attached well, sure. I mean, unfree servitude lacks the wacky fun of paid servitude. <laughs> it surely does, yeah. <laughs> well, the game is fun,
1: at least. Uh, in fact, it's the best of the winter. Hotgrim uh, Alsbrunsen is matched up against Svart, and several times he manages to knock Svart down. And each time, Svart's shoes fall off, and they have to pause the game while he ties them back on. We're told that everyone's laughing and whooping it up, but I don't think we can <laughs> assume that Svart's
0: joining in on this laughter. No, he's the, he, he's like the Finnish Laurel and Hardy. He's a, <laughs> just flopping around the place, throwing his shoes off. Now, I wouldn't think he's he's enjoying it too much. I think the point of the story is to testify that hotgrim is shaping up to be a very strong man. Yeah. Uh, but there's also a bit of class-based cruelty there. And it really doesn't pay off well. So we don't need to dwell on no. this. No. Uh, it's just an odd detail to include. Um, what do you think about the verse? I think it's probably just there to justify the verse yeah i was getting to that uh, so yeah so while everyone
1: is laughing at svart and haltgrim's antics howarth speaks a somewhat incongruous verse uh, do, do you want me to read it actually you know I, we were we've been kind of focusing on the translation and the difference yeah. between the different ones so uh why don't i read the heinemann translation first and then i'll give you the honor of doing the duren The the <laughs> No, that's my that's my thing. You don't get to do that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the laced shoes were not long Unlashed on the feet Of victors Valbrandt's sons I venture to mention When stalwart men were sought The storm-tossed wave Rose up Sanctioned the shield's oar handle My son Last year at last. That was awfully hard to well, read. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's not crystal clear, is it? No, it isn't. I did look at the original, though, and it is pretty obscure in the Old Norse as well. Mm-hmm. The main thing that comes across is the reference to Valbrand's son's shoes. Uh, Remember when Halvarth was collecting his nephews for the attacks on the Theodrikssons, right? The the shoes split. Mm -hmm. So Torvi and Eolf Valbrunsen had a problem there.
0: Yeah, they've been working in their bare feet. uh, And while they were working, their leather shoes had shrunk. Mm -hmm. So they've been walking around this whole time with abraded feet from shoving them into their tiny shoes. (laughs) Yes. So the first half is a reference to that. But the second half mm-hmm. is a pretty
1: garbled reference to his son, the shield's oar handle. Uh, that's probably a man, probably Olaf.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, so the Durenburgers have a very different oh, take. on the second. The uh, they, they They have a different take on the second part of the poem. I recall this now, when I was to avenge the warrior, my son, this summer. The stormy seas got wilder.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's a lot better in terms of clarity, but it's it's lost sight of the kenning at its center.
1: Yeah, it's the, it's the old a word for a word or sense for sense problem that we run into yeah. when yeah. translating something. It, it, it's hard to achieve both at the best of times. And honestly, these poems are deliberately obscure in their own language let alone in (laughs) translation. I mean, uh, Stefan on Discord talked about that, you know, even though modern Icelanders can read the Old Norse uh, fairly easily, uh, some of these poems are unintelligible, um, Mm -hmm. simply because the
0: kennings are so complex and the language so obscure. There is nothing that shakes my belief in my own ability to read Old Norse, like trying to make sense out of one of these verses. Oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah, it's just random words clumped together sometimes. <laughs> um, and and then you think to yourself, surely surely I must be really, really bad at this.
0: <laughs> uh, do you want the Morris and Magnuson translation? I mean, sure. <laughs> Dig it up. Pull it up. Let's go. Well, I mean, I, I, I say translation. It's really more of an exercise in creative writing. Well, it's Morris and Magnuson. So, yes. <laughs> we went, O oh Valkia, toward my son's avenging. And Gylfi's garth swelled round me on that day of summer. Uh, Yeah,
1: so, yeah. (laughs) The Valkyr and the the garth. Yeah. 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 In short, if you want a career in Old Norse translation, I would say maybe don't start with the poetry.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably a solid takeaway. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, you can find the bones of the same idea in all three. Right. The ocean's unrest reflects the turmoil in Halvard's heart and the trouble they've stirred up in avenging Olaf. Yeah. But there's a lot of variation around that theme. But what's it got to do with the shoes, John? It's all about the shoes. What? <laughs> Ultimately, <laughs> it's all about
1: the shoes. The laced shoes were not long unlashed on the feet of victors.
0: Val well, remember, this sons. is... Right, yeah. I mean, this is that, that sort of awkward tie-in with... Uh, The fact that Hotgrims keeps knocking Svart out of of his shoes. But it's talking about the the Valbrand sons. I know. But it's this really tortured link that basically we're supposed to think that somehow watching Svart retie his shoes puts him in mind of Torvi and Eolf putting on their shoes, Uh which puts him in mind of the revenge for his son. Uh Okay, okay. It is a tendentious
1: link, I grant you. I didn't make the connection until now. I will accept your argument.
0: Notice I'm,
1: that I'm not in any way justifying this poem. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. But at least what you've said there explains why it's here and why this this, this digression. Um, the poem exists. My guess is the poem exists. Mm-hmm. It's passed down through tradition. And as the saga is compiled and built, they... they How do we how do we fit this this poem in is the question.
0: Right. Right. And that's just it. Right. That you what you find is that you have these set pieces showing up in the saga that don't seem to make a lot of sense on their own, but exist in order to provide the sort of environment within which this verse becomes organic.
1: Yes. Okay. that
0: that makes some sense to me. Alright,
1: so moving on, the, the winter passes pleasantly, uh, but when summer comes around, it's time for Stainthor to see what he can actually do about Halvarth's situation. Mm-hmm. So he arranges a large party to support him at the thing that year, and he's going to have to seek a settlement for the killings, and he wants to make sure that he's not outnumbered. But mm-hmm. he decides that Halvarth and his men probably shouldn't come along, because if they do, their presence will only make things more difficult.
0: Right, and the problem is that Stainthor's got to deal with the various extended families of the four dead brothers and their nephews. Yeah. But he's also got to deal with a man as powerful as he is himself. The fifth and final brother, Thorarin of Durfjord. Now, Thororin's the oldest, the cleverest,
1: and wisest of the brothers. And he's also mm-hmm. a chieftain of great power and reputation. He's a bit past his prime, as everyone in the saga seems to be, but right.
0: he's looking for revenge against the killers of his brothers. Yeah, right. heard and about it. We, to be clear, we shouldn't mistake clever and wise for kindly in any way. Thorarin is dangerous because he's not a fool. Yeah, he's the final boss for this saga, without question. Yeah. Yeah, and Stainthor
1: knows he's going to have his hands full dealing with the supporters of a man like Thorarin so he brings Halbert's crew back to Atli's house and asks him to take them in I I don't
0: know where to put these men so that they will be safe unless you take them and Atli who really seems to be trying to change and to live up to his in-laws advice says I will do everything in my power to protect them as you wish Man, whatever Thordis did in that bed Really
1: transformed <laughs> this guy. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And Stainthor says, uh, "As long as we take him at his word, I trust you completely with this." Yeah, that's not ominous at all. No, no, he he's trustworthy. He just said so. I just indicated that whatever happened yeah. in the bed, so on and so forth. Everything's You're just fine. making it sound worse. It's fine. <laughs> everything's fine. So Stainthor returns home, and when he leaves for the All-Thing a day later, he has 300 men with him, including Jeez. the Sons of Chieftains and his own prominent kinsmen in the company.
0: Well, he's going to need them because Thorarin's going to be showing up with a crew as well. Yeah. And that's where we'll leave things. Stainthor off for a legal showdown with Thorarin Thredrikson at the All-Thing. While well, and his crew of eight men hunker down at Atli's Farm... And worry about whose hands they've been left in. Wow. And meanwhile, not too far away, a group of men
1: is riding toward Otley's farm. A very well-armed group of men. Yeah. Well, okay. So that's where we'll leave it. So another cliffhanger for the audience. Hopefully we'll all be right, back sooner
0: than later. <laughs> good for you with the cliffhangers. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, so as always, we'd love to hear from you about how you're taking all this. What do you think of septuagenarians throwing their world into chaos in pursuit of old grievances? And <laughs> while we're at it, how do you feel about this saga? Uh, not, uh, yeah. As we head into the final confrontation, what are you expecting from characters like Atli of Utredal and Hotgrim Asbrinson? Atli said everything
1: was cool. Why would everything not be cool <laughs> if he said everything was cool, John? Uh huh. But I'm also curious, do you prefer this kind of good and evil saga story, or do you miss the nuances of something like uh, Ale Saga or False Brother Saga? And what...
0: I'm sorry, wait. False Brother Saga for nuance? (laughs) The murder people for fun saga? Yes, but the saga has complicated feelings about them, so... Okay. Um, I completely forgot what I was going to say. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Andy, if people want to let us know what they think, how do they do that?
1: Well, let's see. I mean, the obvious place to get us is the Discord page for Saga Thing, where if you have a Uh, question and you ask it, it's likely to get answered by really, really smart people.
0: Join us on there, where the conversations are ranging from thesis proposals to necklines on 10th century women's clothing to space Viking romance novels. Oh, yes. And we're also on all the usual social media like Facebook.
1: X marks the Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff that you want to find. uh, uh, You can find us at Sagathing Podcast or Sagathing Pod. You figure it out. Uh, But we also have an (laughs) email address. We trust you. Yeah. We also have an email address. That is Sagathing Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, And, uh,
0: if none of that works, just make a time capsule for us to open on the 20th anniversary of the podcast. It'll take a while, but honestly, so does everything else we do. Yeah. That couldn't be more right. Uh, okay, that's
1: going to do it for now. Uh, we'll be back soon with the dramatic conclusion to Howarth Saga in, uh, let's say, a couple weeks, John. What do you say? Let's go with that. So three or four weeks,
0: maybe six Shh, months from two, now. Two to three weeks max. <laughs> sure.
1: <laughs> Until then, thanks for listening. Bye for now. John, who's Mansa mm-hmm. Musa? Uh,
0: Mansa Musa was the king of Mali in the uh, High Middle Ages. Ah, yes, yes. On yes, a journey yes. to Mecca, he gave out gave away so much gold that he crashed entire economies. Yes, just I so have for heard inflation, of him. he's the he's the richest man in history.
1: I didn't know if it was a Star Wars reference. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I, that's it what does I, sound like a Star Wars name, <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah.
1: Um, but really but I, I have heard of him. Now that you um, okay. <laughs> Misa mansa musa <laughs> mansa musa no ma